you'll find our scripture reading in John's Gospel, chapter 20. It'll be on the big screen behind me as well. In the seat back pocket in front of you, there's a Bible. Now, we're missing a few of our Bibles, so if you've got about six or seven in the trunk of your car, it's time to bring one or two back, okay? So uh, John chapter 20, our scripture reading is found there in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? It's amazing, Jesus, that you are life and that you are light. And the wow of this text written 2,000 years ago, is still blowing the mind of your saints today. You left heaven, you died, you rose again, and now you live forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray that our lives would honor you And I pray that you would be our God and that we would be your people, the sheep of your pasture. And as we break open this new book, would you give us the grace that we need to follow you faithfully? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you have your seat? I'm excited. We are beginning a new book today, The Gospel According to John. And I have been uh, looking forward to this, and I know, I, I, I've actually really been excited about this. So much so, I'm actually nervous in some sense to teach this book, uh, because I've had so much time in regards to the prep for it, that you've got so much in your heart and your life that you want to get out that God has been showing me through this book. And I'm excited for us, especially as we're focusing on outreach, because this book really is a a manual for outreach, and we're going to understand that as we walk through the pages of this book. Now, I've got one other brief little announcement before we engage into this. We are going to be moving. Did everyone hear that? (laughs) Not from Coast Hills. Sunday night, we are going to move from the auditorium over to 101. We're going to kind of change up the the service a little bit and kind of make this like a little church plant as we just kind of change the style of Sunday night and be able to kind of make a little bit more of the family that we are on Sunday nights. Um, And I love this family, but you're so far away and there's about a hundred of us in a 900 seat auditorium. And so what we want to do is bring you guys together and kind of take us in the round over in 101 and be able to, you know, 
really be a family and to, to really see this part of our body grow together. And then when we get up to maybe 150, 200, we'll come back over here. But until then, we can fit in 101 and you're way too far away. I mean, like I'm having to stretch my eyes to see all of you guys over there. And some of you guys, well, we like that. That's why we sit way over here. Um, but I don't. And so as the leader here, I'm going to move us over to 101. And uh, I love you guys and I really appreciate your opinion. I appreciate most of your opinions. <laughs> no, I appreciate all of them. And uh, we're going to head out uh, and go over to 101 starting next week. Now, the reason why I wanted to tell you was if you like the big auditorium experience, you still have the 10 o'clock to be able to come to and enjoy that time. So we're going to go right into John's gospel, the gospel according to John. And that's actually the title of our message, according to John, according to John. Now, if I want to learn how to do something, I'll usually read a book by an author who's been successful in accomplishing the goal that I want to accomplish. For example, if I want to win a football championship, much to my chagrin, I would probably read the playbook of Doug Peterson instead of Belichick. Now, I know I prophesied that the New England Patriots would win. Stone me. But I humbly submit I would read Doug Peterson's playbook if I wanted to win a football championship. In fact, if I wanted to learn how to snowboard, I'm probably going to read the book that Chloe Kim is going to write because she's the first woman who's got a gold medal in snowboarding in the history of the Olympics. If I desire to reach my world for Christ, well, I'm going to read the gospel in accordance to John because he was successful. He wrote this book and I want to understand what John did and how he did it because my desire is that I might be like John, that I might change and that I might have the opportunity to change my world. And who better? Who better to write the book than the man who was with Christ from the very beginning of Christ's ministry all the way to the end of Christ's ministry? He was the youngest. He was the youngest. And John, he enjoyed a special relationship with Jesus. Now, you know I have nine kids. And I have to tell you, my youngest, it's his birthday today. He's got a special relationship with me. In fact, it was one Christmas, everybody was arguing about who's the most favorite. And I stood up and I said, well, everyone knows my favorite is Timon. And Timon says and announces, I've been trying to tell you people for years. He's the baby. He's the youngest. He's everyone's favorite. So was John. John was the baby. John was the youngest. John was the youngest of all the disciples. And everybody loved John. But he was also part of a special group. That's what makes him so qualified to write this book. You know John. He was one of the three. Peter, James, and John. John, who was with Jesus in this special group, when he saw Jairus' daughter raised up from the dead. John, he was with this special group when they went on the Mount of Transfiguration and there Jesus was changed. There he was transfigured. There Moses and Elijah met with him. 
And what a radical thing for John to see as his own life would be radically changed. You see, this John, he was known as the Son of Thunder. And this reputation was a nickname that was given to him because, well, John was very passionate. In fact, he was volatilely passionate, so volatile that they were passing through a Samaritan village in Luke chapter 9, and John came up with a great decision because the Samaritans would not allow them to spend the night because they were Jews. John says, let's burn them all, Jesus. Let's just burn, let's make them fried chicken. I want all of them burnt to a crisp. Oh, John, Jesus puts his hand on his forehead. You don't know what spirit you are of. But this John, he would change. This John would become the apostle of of love. You see, the world had shaped him to become the son of thunder. But Jesus would make him into the apostle of love. And I have so many people that will sit in my office and they will say to me, well, this is how God made me. And I'll correct them and say, no, 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 you don't understand. This is how the world has shaped you. But God is going to make you into his man or his woman. And he's going to take how the world has shaped you, just like John, who was the son of thunder. And he as well can make you the apostle of love. Because Jesus, he was going to take this son of thunder and he was going to make him into a fisher of men. Well, John, how did this happen? How did this come about? And I want to understand the growth process of how you were the son of thunder and how you became this fisher of men. And John is going to reveal that in his book for our own sake. You see, it's in John chapter chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we experience his conversion. There he is with John the Baptist, and his friend says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, how many of you were led to Christ by a friend? Is anyone here? Raise your hand. You were led to Christ by a friend. Well, look how many of us were just like John the Apostle. He's hanging out with his friend John the Baptist, and John says, there's Jesus, and John chooses to follow Jesus. John the Apostle chooses to follow Jesus. And the very next day, choosing and making that decision, he sees Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says, what are you seeking? And John says, I, I-, I want to know more, Rabbi. So much like a new believer. I love new believers. They sit in the front row. They read from Genesis to maps in just a week. They want to know the entire Bible. They want to experience the whole thing. And they get frustrated when you say a verse that they don't know. And they go home and they memorize it. And just like John, who set the example, who hungered and thirst for Jesus, is the same what I see in those who first and new come to Christ. Now, does this mean that John was perfect? No way. I just told you he tried to burn up an entire Samaritan village. But that was not the only thing that John did. You see, it was right before that decision in the same chapter of Luke 9 
that John is arguing with the disciples as to who is the greatest. Well, I'm sure John in the argument was going, well, you know, I'm the baby of the group. I'm obviously Jesus's favorite. I'm part of the special group that got to see Jairus's daughter rise from the dead. And Peter was probably saying, oh, John, be quiet. You are not the favorite. I'm the favorite. And I'm sure Simon the zealot had a little knife in his pocket that he was ready to stab all of them. I mean, you can just imagine what Jesus had to deal with with these disciples. And so Jesus, he takes this child and he puts this child in his lap and he starts talking about what it means to be a leader in the kingdom. And he rebukes the disciples. And John, John didn't want to receive the rebuke. And so John goes, hey, Jesus, um, um, you see those people over there? You see those people over there? Just like some of my children. When I look at them and I say, I can't believe what you did. One of them will go, who I'm choosing to challenge. Well, did you see what brother so-and-so did? Well, I mean, what they did was much worse than what I did. And now we see John doing the very same thing. And he points the finger at somebody else. And he goes, do you see those people over there, Jesus? I know we're arguing, but do you see them? They're casting out demons in your name. And Jesus looks at John and he goes, if they're for us, they're not against us. And what I love of what Jesus is communicating is this. John, you're not the only one I'm working with. I'm working with a lot of other people. And I know that we are the greatest church in South County But can I tell you, there's a hundred other greatest churches in South County. Oh, there are so many great works of God that are happening in Orange County. There are so many incredible men of God and women of God that are doing so many incredible things. You see, John was being informed, as we need to be, that Coast Hills is not the only place that God is working. John had a lot to learn. He had a lot to grow in. So much so, this argument about who would be the greatest in the kingdom John and James have a little secret meeting with Jesus. And they go to Jesus and say, hey, listen, can one of us sit at the right and can one of us sit on the left? And Jesus says, to sit at the right and the left, it's up to the Father. But can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Well, James and John didn't like this answer. So you know what they did? They asked mommy. They went to mommy and they said, mommy, would you please go to Jesus and would you ask him the same question? And I don't know if you know this, but James and John's mother was the sister of Mary. So she's Auntie Salome. And Auntie Salome goes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, I'm Auntie Salome and I got a little request for you. Can can my boy sit at the right or the left? And you know the answer that Jesus gave? gave Auntie Salome, gave the same answer that he gave James and John. It's not up to me to decide, but can the boys drink the cup that I'm going to drink? You see, John had a lot of lessons to learn. And one of the greatest lessons that he needed to learn as a new convert is the grace that he needed with the amount of mistakes that he would make. And that's exactly why John would write in John 1, We go from grace to grace with the Lord Jesus Christ. But later on in John chapter 13, we begin to see that John is growing. And in John chapter 13, let me set the scene for you. We're at the Last Supper. And there's John, and he's leaning right on the chest of Jesus. And Jesus says something. He says, one of you is going to betray me. 
Well, the disciples don't understand this. What do you mean one of us is going to betray you? And this, this word is a little bit difficult for them to receive. They, they don't understand it. Well, it's amazing to me when the Lord speaks something to me. Sometimes when I don't understand, I get mad. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I might even leave the church because I don't like what the Lord said through that pastor. So I'm going to go into a different church and I'm going to hear what else the Lord might have to say through a different person, but not John. No, John's growing in faith. And though he didn't understand what Jesus was saying, he leans into Jesus' heart. He leans onto his chest and he says, Lord, who is it? He asks a question. John is still hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He's not allowing something that Jesus said in his walk of faith to cause him to go a different way or to get frustrated, angry, or mad. No, what John chooses to do is he chooses to get closer to the heart of Jesus so that he might understand the truth that Jesus is getting across. No wonder John would write, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. And then finally, we see John's growth in John 21. Oh, this is the mature John. This is John, the youngest disciple, but acting the most mature. And let's kind of set the scene now. It's about a year later, and John has grown in his faith so much so the resurrection has happened. And the disciples, they're discouraged. They're, They're kind of in despair and a little disenfranchised. The group is breaking up. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, but it's not the same. Like, he's been around 40 days. Sometimes he comes in through the wall. Sometimes he goes out through the wall. And it's not like he's with us all the time. And so the boys decide, let's go back fishing. Let's go back to Zebedee Fishing Company. I mean, it's at least what we know. Let's go back to what we know. Well, they go out one night, and they're there all night. They don't catch a fish, because when you go a direction that's not the way of Jesus, he's not going to allow it to bear much fruit. And so Jesus, he's sitting on the shore. And they're the disciples, and they're out fishing. They're not catching any fish. They're discouraged. And Jesus, he's cooking some breakfast on the shore, and he screams out to the disciples, Hey, guys, cast your net on the right side, because you're on the wrong side. I can't believe you don't know this as fishermen. Cast your net on the right side. So they cast their net, and all of a sudden, they pull up 153 fish. Now, why the Holy Spirit thought it was important for us to know there was 153 fish, I have yet to discover. But they pull up 153 fish, so much so that the nets start to break, and John gets it. Fishers of men. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him and he screams out, it's the Lord. What a mature believer. Despite the fact that he's discouraged, despite the fact that he's in despair and disenfranchised with this whole following Jesus thing, he recognizes the Lord. He presses through. He allows the Holy Spirit to speak to him. Truly, John was no longer the son of thunder. He was becoming the mature fisher of men. So much so that when John was writing this book, do you know how he refers to himself? The entire time of the five times that he actually refers to himself, he writes, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He doesn't even use the I pronoun. He doesn't even refer to himself as John. He refers to himself the way that he identified with Jesus. He knew that Jesus loved him. And now his identity is not being a fisherman. His identity was not being the greatest. His identity was not being the youngest or part of the special group. Now the mature John, he's just the disciple whom Jesus loved. Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul would refer to John as one of the pillars of the church. But John, in Revelation chapter 1, John would just refer to himself as a servant of God, not a pillar of the church. Because let me tell you, he was no longer concerned about being the greatest because he realized in order to be the greatest, I've got to be the servant of all. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion. And no longer was he so worried about having power and prominence. No, he wanted the people of God to know, I am with you. I am your companion. I'm suffering along with you. John didn't want power and prominence. And remember when we studied 1 John, we realized that John became the apostle of love who would rather love people into the kingdom than burn them at the Samaritan village. This is the man I want to learn from. This is the man that I want to know how I can change because I watched you change. And not only did I watch you change, I watched you change your world. And so I want to read your book. And I want to know how you change because you accomplished the goal that I am purposing to attain to. And so I want to learn from you, John, because you learn from the best. You learn from Jesus himself. So John, for the first 12 chapters, he describes the ways of Jesus. And he gives us seven incredible miracles of Christ. He reveals the way of Jesus. And in this way of Jesus, we begin to understand what John's point was when we get to John chapter 13. And Jesus looks at the disciples in John chapter 13, verse 15, and he says this, listen, I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done unto you. And so for the first 12 chapters, Jesus expresses his way, and then in chapter 13, he says, follow my way. And the last 11 chapters, John, I want to learn from you. You see, the last 11 chapters, the Gospels, well, they reveal the next stage of his growth while he was in the garden with Jesus. Let me set the scene. In John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus gives his longest sermon to the disciples. Now, if you think I preach a long time and you think I go over, I learn from Jesus. Disciples love when their, their teacher goes over. Look, John, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Five chapters of a sermon. So I should be able to go to at least 7 or 7.30 tonight just following the way and the example of Jesus. Don't leave, I'm kidding. We'll be done by 6.30. But the truth of the matter is this. 
After he preached this sermon, he gathered his few, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And everyone knew that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. In fact, Judas depended on it. Jesus had gone there so many times to pray that he knew exactly where to find Jesus when he was going to betray him. In all of the big city of Jerusalem, he was dependent that Jesus would be the consistent man of prayer that he knew him to be. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane right before the crucifixion. His disciples are there, and they're a little bit groggy from the Passover meal. And so he calls Peter, James, and John. And he calls them to come, and he looks at them, and he says to them, as he pulls them away from the disciples, he looks and he says, watch and pray. Jesus goes off after giving the instruction, watch me. I want you to watch me put my words in action as I pray. Watch me. You see, Jesus spent time giving them the word, and then he told those three, watch me live the word. And this is exactly where John begins his focus as we study the book of John, that Jesus is the word. He watched him live the word. Would you look with me at John chapter 1? I'm going to read John 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word. John gives Jesus a title, much like most students would do of their philosophers in the first century. They would get a title, O wise one, master, O teacher. They would give them a title, Peaceful One. And John, following suit of the first century world as an incredible writer, he is thinking about the title that he would give his teacher, and he refers to his teacher as, listen carefully, the Word. Now, it doesn't say a word. It says the Word. Because the words of Jesus don't join with a host of other words to find truth. No, Jesus is the truth. And this title, the word, John is trying to get across that Jesus is God's ultimate communication of truth about himself. Listen again. Jesus is God's ultimate truth. His ultimate communication of truth about who he is. Paul would say it like this. It's Colossians 1.19. You can write it down in your notes. For in him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, in this, John is making it very clear. Jesus is God. There's no question about it. And when the Gnostics were doubting whether or not Jesus is God, in the same way that the Jehovah's Witness doubt whether Jesus is God, John is making an emphatic statement. The truth about Jesus is that Jesus is God. Now, I need to help you understand the way that the Greek is written so that you can see the point that John is getting across. Look with me at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word. Understand what the Greek is saying. He existed at the beginning. You see, John is only clarifying what Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 8. 
And in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He gives himself the name of God. He gives himself the eternal nature of God. And the Bible is making it very clear he existed at the beginning. You see, we see Jesus in Genesis 1. If he's the word, which I believe he is, then he was the one that said, let there be light. And there was light. Jesus spoke the word. The Holy Spirit power brought everything together. And God the Father was the power from on high. And we see the Trinity in action in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is the spoken word, let there be light. And throughout the course of this book, John is going to prove that Jesus is God, that he is deity. Now, if you know the four Gospels, each of the Gospels have an Old Testament point to prove. Each of the Gospels are presented to us not competing with each other, but complementary to one each other, adding to the story so that we can see the full picture of who the fullness of God is. And so Matthew... Matthew would answer Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Behold the king. Mark, he would answer Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold the servant. Luke, Luke would answer Zechariah's question, chapter 6, verse 12. Behold the man, the eternal God-man. And John Oh, the most important of all, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, behold your God. John is so confident of this truth that Jesus is God. It's why he says, I write to you. There is no shadow of turning. I am absolutely clear. I am not wavering with doubt. I'm writing to you the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, and by him alone you can have eternal life. So convinced by this, look what he says in verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You see, he was convinced that Jesus is the creator. And as the creator, I want you to write this down, he is the authority. He is the authority. Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1, because Christ is preeminent, because he is the authority, and all authority has been given to him, that he created all things. And so what John is going to do in the first 12 chapters, he is going to show us seven miracles, seven incredible miracles showing that Jesus is God of creation, and he's going to look at water of which he created, and he's going to walk on it. He's going to look at material things like fish and loaves, and he's going to multiply it. He's going to see sickness And he's going to heal it. He is going to genetically maneuver chromosomes because he created them so that people that were blind can see. He is the authority. Now, I want you to be careful when I say seven miracles that you don't think that these are the only miracles that Jesus did. 
For the very last verse found in the gospel according to John, he says, listen, if I was to write all of the miracles that Jesus did, a volume of books that would contain in the world would not be able to hold all of the miracles that Jesus did. But John, he strategically picks out seven to prove that Jesus Christ is God. He is God. And Jesus says, as the authority, listen carefully to John's point, as the Father has sent me, so I send. You don't sound too convinced of it. And I wonder if you think Jesus is your authority. Let me say it one more time. As the Father has sent me, so I send. Oh, surprise, surprise. Look who the disciples are. You see, Jesus is speaking to you. And as we read John's book, this was not just a message for the disciples. This is a message to us. And if Jesus is really our authority, when he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, then I'm going to respond to the calling of God. You see, John was called to be a fisher of men. And this is exactly what Jesus is making you as well. And John is going to show you through this book how to be a good fisherman. Now, let me tell you, my grandfather, he brought the fishing industry to the Bahamas. He used to make his own boats out of wood, and he would go sail for months at a time. And let me tell you something about my grandfather. He never came back and the hole was empty. It was always filled with fish. And he didn't come home until there was fish. Because you don't go out and not come back without fish. You wouldn't be called a fisherman. And church, dare we come back empty and grow so complacent in our search for the lost that we Bring our boat to heaven's shores without a fish in it. Listen, it wouldn't make sense. No, we need our nets to be breaking with those that we share the gospel with because Jesus is our authority. And as he sent, as he was sent by the Father, he is sending us. Look at the next verse in verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. I want you to read what John is saying. Not only is he the authority, he is the life. The life? Well, John would later describe what this life is in 1 John. You can write it down. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Now, I need to tell you something about this life. This life that Jesus offers, it came at great cost. Jesus gave his life for it. It's the message of the gospel. Jesus died on a cross in order to give us life. But he didn't stay dead. Because God the Father had given life in and of himself to Jesus. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead three days later, taking away the sting of death, conquering death so that he might be able to give us life. You see, he's the victor. Because he's life, he is victorious. And as victorious God, he is able to give us eternal life. 
John was so confident of this by faith, so confident of this by faith, that when he was a new convert and he had just come to Jesus, do you know what he does? He forms the first outreach initiative and he runs to Peter and James and he says, you got to come meet this guy. We found the Messiah. I believe he's the victory. He's the king of kings. He's who the Old Testament's prophesied about. John believed. But Jesus didn't come just to give eternal life. No, John tells us he came to give us abundant life. You see, because Jesus went away and he ascended and is with the Father, Jesus promised us through John's gospel, he tells us that unless I go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And because Jesus is the victor, he was able to give us the Holy Spirit, the overflowing, powerful Holy Spirit to do the abundant life here on earth. And John knew this because the Holy Spirit would strengthen the stamina of John who outran Peter to the tomb to outlive all of the disciples. This incredible, powerful, holy spirit would redeem John's resolve to be the leader, to make him the greatest servant leader I believe this world has ever known. The power of the Holy Spirit would consolidate the courage of John who followed Jesus all the way to the cross and would make this John so courageous that he would stand in front of the very ones who crucified him and share the gospel of Jesus. You see, John wants us to know we can have victory as well. We can be strengthened in the task that God has given us, whether it be mom, dad, or business person, or whatever it is that God has called you. He wants you to know that Jesus is the victory, and you can be redeemed from all of your failures in the same way that he was. And he wants you to know that in this dark world, you can shine as a courageous light because Jesus is the victor. As the light in a dark world... Would you look with me at chapter 1, 4b, as we read, the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, because Jesus is not only the life, he is the light. He can show us the way. Jesus came from heaven, and he came to earth to show us the way to God. Satan didn't want anyone to know the way to God. So he tried to snuff out the life of Jesus, not knowing this was the great plan of God. And when Satan saw him crucified, he thought he was victorious in his plan. And then Jesus resurrected. And the darkness tried to snuff out the light, but the light overcame the darkness in the same way it's what light does no matter how dark it is light will shine brighter still so john recorded all of this for us john wanted us to see he's the authority he's the victory he is the way he's the way he wanted us to see this because john's life was changed and then john changed lives that are around us and that were around him. 
And that becomes our challenge to change. You see, the gospel of John, it becomes for us a manual. It becomes for us a training guide, maybe even a survival guide or a playbook to out-strategize the enemy. But John's gospel, as we study it, we're going to learn how we can change. And we're going to learn through our change how we can change the lives of others that are around us. John did. I want to read his book. Amen? And so, Jesus, we come to you so thankful that you were so faithful to give John this book. And my prayer in the name of Jesus is that you would use it in our lives as we study it to change our lives. You're the word, not a word. In Jesus' name, amen.